G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Idolatry really bothers God a lot. It's the first of the Ten Commandments. Pastor Greg Laurie reminds us today that God doesn't want us to worship any other gods. It couldn't be clearer. God cares about being number one, and He will not share His glory with another. He expects our faithfulness to Him. He is faithful, certainly, to us. And He says, I don't want you to have any other gods before me. This is the day when the lost are found. down, the preeminent reason God created man is so that man might have fellowship with God. We were created to worship God. Now, if we worship another God, money, our jobs, our hobbies, or another person, our lives become the antithesis of what we were created for. It's such a foundational issue that God reserved the first of His Ten Commandments to address this. And so we'll address it today here on A New Beginning with Pastor Greg Laurie. Today, we're going to share a topical message with you with the title, Good News in a Bad World. How many of you would like to hear some good news today? Raise your hand up. Okay, good, good. All right, let's turn in our Bible. It says 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. This was a very dark time in the history of the nation Israel. A time that in many ways parallels ours. Things could not have been more bleak. Uh, But we're going to see how God broke in on this difficulty and brought some very good news. We'll see the problem. We'll see the promise. We'll see the people God chose to bring that promise. And finally, the proclamation of that good news. First, let's identify the problem. This, as I said, was one of the darkest moments in the history of Israel. Everything had gone wrong. They had sunk to the lowest of the depths and their economy had completely collapsed. A famine had swept the land and the king was powerless to do anything about it. Things were so bad. People were so hungry. They were eating what is identified in the King James Version as dove dung. I don't know if you know what that is. That would be pigeon poop. Okay. I mean, uh, what do I say? That's what it was. In fact, the delicacy of this time would have been the head of a donkey. They were so Uh, impoverished and so hungry. In fact, there was one incident that broke out where two women decided to kill and eat their own sons. And they struck an agreement that uh, they would eat one boy on one day and the other on the next. And so they killed the first boy and they ate him. And then 
the next day, the, the mother of that boy changed her mind and hit him. And the lady who killed her son the day before was upset. And so they went to the king. King, this isn't right. It, it's her turn to kill her boy so we can eat him. What are you going to do about it? And the king couldn't believe this was happening. And we read that he ripped his clothes. And, and that was sort of a biblical way of saying, usually that you're repenting. But he was frustrated and he was angry. So what did he do? Did he drop to his knees and say, God, what's wrong? What have we done to bring this calamity upon us? Lord, have mercy on us. No. The king said, where's that stinking prophet of the Lord Elisha? I want him dead now. What? He strikes out at God's representative because they were reaping the consequences of their sinful actions. You see, God had withdrawn His blessing from the nation of Israel. Why? Because they had turned to worshiping false gods. Let me be straight with you. Idolatry really bothers God a lot. Now we don't think it's that big of a deal. I read a poll a while back where people sort of assessed the Ten Commandments and they believed that murdering was the worst thing that you could do and maybe adultery wasn't far behind it. But a lot of the people said, we don't think idolatry is that big of a deal. Really? Well, God begs to differ. Because the first two commandments actually deal with the topic of idolatry. Why is that a big deal to God? Because if you're not worshiping God, you're going to be worshiping someone or something in His place. And all these other actions and sinful activities really are the result of God not being in His proper place in our life. God cares about being number one. I know some people are bothered by that. I read that Oprah Winfrey once said that she can't worship a jealous God, a God that wants our praise. Her God would never be that way. Well, I don't know about Oprah's God, but I'll tell you about the God of the Bible. He is a jealous God. And He will not share His glory with another. You say, well, that's a little paranoid on God's part, isn't it? Oh, is that how you see it? Let me ask you a question, husbands. How would you feel if your wife was going out with a different guy every night of the week? Are you good with that? Oh, yeah, it's cool. You're an idiot. Wives, how would you feel if your husband had a girlfriend for every day of the week? Well, of course you would never accept that. Because when you enter into a marriage relationship, you expect him to be faithful to you. And that's what you should expect. In the same way, when we enter into a relationship with God, He expects our faithfulness to Him. He is faithful, certainly, to us. And He says, I don't want you to have any other gods before me. But the king was worshiping other gods. And so this famine came. And so the consequences came. But instead of turning to the Lord, he wants to turn on God's servant. It's an interesting thing. You know, people will sin against God. They'll reap the consequences of sinning against God. And then they'll get mad at God for letting this happen to them as though he somehow did it to them. When in reality, God warned them all along, don't do this or thus and so could happen. And then they will also strike out against God's people. Maybe you'll go up to someone and say, you know what, uh, this situation that you're in right now, uh, a lot of it you brought on yourself. And if you would just turn from your sin and turn, who are you to judge me? Who do you think you are? Are you perfect? No, I'm not perfect. Not at all. But I just know the Word of God tells No, I don't care what the Word of God. You know what? You're a hypocrite. And you're judgmental. And, and you're holier than thou. And, and you know, doesn't the Bible say, judge not lest you be judged? Well, yeah, the Bible does say that. But it's actually tough. I don't care what it's saying. Okay, fine. Whatever. But have you had that happen to you? 
You go to someone even in love and in meekness and you try to offer a solution and they get angry at you. You know, that just means you're doing your job. Jesus said in John 15, 21, the world, people of the world hate you because you belong to me for they don't know God who sent me. So when people strike out at you for no reason, rejoice. It probably just means you're doing what you ought to be doing. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when this happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do, God says, and all the heavens applaud. And know that you're in good company because my prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Yes, this was coming because of their disobedience and because the king couldn't solve it. You know, a lot of times when we have problems, like with our economy, we expect government to fix it. He didn't have the answers because the answers were not economic. The answers were not military. The answers were not political. The answers were spiritual. They needed to turn to God. And I bring this up because we can't help but see a parallel between their times and ours. It's been said, he who refuses to learn from history is forced to repeat its mistakes. Malcolm Muggeridge said, quote, all new news is old news happening to new people. And really all that we see happening, we've seen it happen before, and we've seen what can happen if we turn to the Lord. Our answer is to turn to the true and living God. The God that, yes, we called upon when we founded this country. Don't let anyone engage in revisionism and tell you that our country was not clearly founded on Judeo-Christian principles. It was founded on the teachings of Scripture. I'm not saying that every one of our founding fathers was a believer in Jesus Christ, but I'm saying that they had a respect for the Word of God and they invoked the name of Jesus Christ. We didn't build this country on the teachings of Islam or Buddhism or any other religion. They were built on the clear teachings of Judeo-Christian ethics, more specifically the Christian faith. And I think if we will turn back to the true God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He will hear and He will answer. Glad you've joined us today as we hear from Senior Pastor Greg Laurie from Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, California, USA. And today he's pointing out how to call on God in our time of need as we go to 2 Kings chapter 7 in this message called Good News in a Bad World. We see what happens now as we turn to our text. It's 2 Kings chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 to you. And you can read along, of course. And I'm going to be reading, by the way, from the New Living Translation. So Elisha the prophet appears on the scene. And he says, verse 1, Hear this message from the Lord. Here's what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, five quarts of fine flour will cost only half an ounce of silver. Ten quarts of barley grain will cost only half an ounce of silver. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, this couldn't happen if the Lord opened up the windows of heaven. Elisha said, you'll see it happen, but you will not be able to eat any of it. Now the story shifts. There were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. 
Why should we sit here waiting to die? They ask one another. We'll starve if we stay here. And we'll starve if we go back into the city. So we might as well go and just surrender to the Syrian army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they killed us, well, we would have died anyway. So that evening they went out to the camp of the Syrians. But no one was there. For the Lord had caused the whole army of Syria to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sound of a great army approaching. And they said, The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us. And they panicked and fled into the night, abandoning their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and everything else. And they fled for their lives. So the leopards arrive at the edge of the camp. They went from one tent to another, eating, drinking wine, carrying out silver and gold and clothing and hiding it. Finally they said to each other, hey, this is not right. This is a day of good news and we're not sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some terrible calamity will certainly fall on us. Come, let's go tell the people at the palace. Therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So we've already identified the problem. It was sin. It was idolatry. It was the fact that Israel had abandoned God. Here's the promise. The promise was God was going to change things. Elisha said that food was going to be affordable the next day. And the king's aide says, well, that's not even possible. He says in verse 2, even if the Lord opened up the windows of heaven, that couldn't happen. And then Elisha shoots back, well, I'll tell you what, you'll see it happen, but you personally will not eat any of it. And so here's what it comes down to. This man was unwilling to believe God's solution. And it was a spiritual solution. And God has told us to call upon him in the day of trouble. But this guy's saying, well, not. Now it won't work. I just refuse to believe. And you know, by the way, it's not a bad thing to be skeptical. But unbelief is different. Unbelief says, I choose to not believe what God says in His Word. No, that is simply not true. And that's what this man was doing. He was simply full of unbelief. And I'll tell you what, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, it's impossible to please God without faith for anyone that comes to Him must believe that He is and is a rewarder of those that sincerely seek Him. If you want this relationship with God, you need to come in faith. And the Bible is replete with stories of men and women who had their lives transformed because they reached out in believing faith and took God at His word. Will you? God can do some pretty amazing things. And that brings us to the people that God used to bring the message about. We've looked at the problem Israel was facing. We've looked at the promise of provision so who did the Lord call to bring this message to the people? He chose four lepers. <laughs> it's hard for us to understand how significant that was. You see, a leper was a man or a woman who had an incurable disease. They were a person that was experiencing a slow death. Uh, they lost the ability to feel and sense pain and, uh, and what they had was highly contagious. And so they were quarantined. They were isolated. And if a leper was out and about, they had to cry out to any person coming near them, unclean. So everyone kept their distance from lepers. In fact, if you were a leper, your only other friends would be fellow lepers. So God says, let's see, who can I use to herald this message? I know, I'll choose lepers. It's kind of cool. And so these lepers go into this camp. 
And, and they, here's how they reason. They think, look, you know, life's pretty bad for us no matter what happens. It can't get much worse. We're gonna die no matter what. And we are really hungry. Now, if we stay here in the wilderness, we'll die. But, you know, let's go over to the camp of the Syrians. Maybe they'll be sympathetic toward us and throw us some table scraps and we'll have a meal. Maybe they'll kill us, but what does it matter? We're gonna die anyway. What have we gotta lose? So they go over to the camp of the Syrians and not only are they not just throwing table scraps, the Syrians have fled and there's food everywhere. But why did the Syrians flee? Because they heard the noise of an approaching army in the Syrian camp. They thought the Israelites had hooked up with some allies to drive them out of their camp and so they fled. Now this is a great example of how God can work both naturally and supernaturally at the same time. Because what happened was God supernaturally cleared out the Syrians with this noise of an army. Well what was the noise of the army? Was it an illusion or a trick by God? No. God just allowed the Syrians to get a glimpse behind the veil of the spiritual army. Because around us right now we have an army of angels. The Bible says the angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear Him. And the Bible also tells us that angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to those who are the heirs of salvation. Hebrews 1.14. You might say, well I have some pretty big problems. Are there enough angels to go around? Absolutely. Because Daniel 7.10 tells us that there are thousands and thousands of angels. Well over a hundred million angels doing the bidding of God. So that ought to do the job, don't you think? So the Lord supernaturally cleared out the Syrians, but then He led the lepers naturally. God worked both openly and secretly. In other words, an angel of the Lord did not come to the lepers and say, hey lepers, go over here, there's free food now. No, they're, they're, the Lord drove all the Syrians away. Meanwhile, the lepers are just standing out there talking with each other. And you know what drove them to that camp? Hunger. <laughs> just something as simple as wanting to get a meal. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of the will of God when you were doing a rather mundane thing? I suggest to you that, and you might be surprised hearing me say this, but I suggest to you that the will of God is not always easy to discern. And anyone that says they always know the will of God, I don't think they're being completely honest. I don't always know the will of God. Most of my life, quite honestly, as a Christian, is one of faith whereby I read Scripture, I pray for wisdom, I make decisions and I act on them, and I hope I'm in His will. I hope that's not a disappointment to you. I don't know if you thought that every morning God woke me up and spoke to me audibly. Good morning, Greg. Here is your mission, should you decide to accept it. <laughs> At 1.45 there will be a man named Joe at the gas station pumping gas across the street from Harvest Christian Fellowship. Your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to share the gospel with him. This message will destruct in five seconds. Ding, 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 ding. That was a message destructing there. Here's the way it really works. Greg's driving along in his car and he's out of gas. And the idiot light goes on and Greg says, must get gas now. <laughs> I pull over to the gas station. I'm standing there. 
pumping away and I look over and there's some guy and he goes, hey, how's it going? Hey, how are you doing? Good. What's your name? Joe. Okay, I'm Greg. Hey. And we start talking. All of a sudden I realize divine appointment. See, that's how it works for me most of the time. So we're looking for visions and we're looking for angels and we're looking for pillars of fire and audible voices. And meanwhile, God's saying, you know what? I have an opportunity for you right now if you'll just pay attention. He'll lead you both supernaturally and naturally. But for the most part, the Christian life is one of faith where you study His Word, you pray for direction, you apply its principles, and you go out and do the right thing. That's our objective and that's what we ought to do. Some great practical instruction today from Pastor Greg Laurie about remaining faithful in our walk with God and letting Him lead us along the way. Well, next time, Pastor Greg continues this message. It's called Good News in a Bad World. That's what we certainly need. But before we go today, here's Pastor Greg to wrap up. Pastor Chuck Smith, I remember a time I had lunch with him and I said, "Uh, Chuck, uh, I have a question for you. If an older Chuck were talking to a younger Chuck, with all these years of knowing the Lord and walking with the Lord, what would you tell yourself as a young man, as an older man? What would you say, this is what you need to remember, Chuck? Chuck says, I would say, hold your course. I said, that's it? Yes, hold your course. So I said, when you say hold your course, you mean just keep doing what you're doing. That's right, hold your course. And I thought, you know, that's what we all need to be doing right now. We need to hold our course. Hold the course. Sometimes it's easier. Sometimes it's harder. Sometimes it's uncertain. Sometimes it's more clear. Hold your course. The just shall live by faith. Keep moving forward. It's a commitment you've made. Go on to that commitment. Today's message from Pastor Greg Laurie was called Good News in a Bad World. If you'd like to listen to it again, just download the free Vision Christian Media app where it's available as a podcast. Or for a copy on CD, contact Vision Christian Store on 1-800-00-5011 or visionstore.org.au. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.